Today we're going to talk about fatherhood. We're going to do it from the perspective of Solomon and David. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. The title of the message is, Daddy Used to Say. Daddy Used to Say. Solomon is writing, and he says, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words and keep my commandments and live. Acquire, verse 5, wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not turn or forget from, uh, do not turn away or forget the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Verse 9, she will place a, on your head a garland of grace, and she will present you with a crown of beauty. Lord, help us this week. Study your word. Three things in this passage about which I'd like to talk to you. One, our responsibility to guard. Two, our responsibility to gain. And three, our responsibility to grow. Here, the writer is saying, make sure you hold on to some things that are important to your progress and guard them. Hold on to my instruction and, and make sure you keep it. We as fathers are to be people that impart to our children something that allows them to hold on better through life and teach them how to keep that which we have instructed them. There's a holding on and then there's a keeping. There's a guarding. There's a protecting. And the, the gems of wisdom that come out of your mouth ought to be more than those that are just about how to manage your finances well if you teach your children how to do that. What it means to be organized. All those things are important. But what about the spiritual input, Dad, are you giving your children that allows them to progress on a regular basis? What does it look like? How do you disciple your kids? Not just provide for them an environment where they can grow up in safety. Food, clothing, shelter, education. What are you doing to really inspire them according to their calling? This is what we are supposed to do. And here's Solomon is talking about what his daddy did. Now, we read our scripture in such a way that it allows us to understand that everything in it, all the words there are God-breathed, and that's helpful. But sometimes that can get in the way of the context, and we don't really get everything that is being said from the writer's perspective. And we need both in order to understand what God is saying fully to us. And here we've got a man, Solomon, who is remembering what his daddy said to him and he, he's, he's recounting it in such a way as that it feels like it's coming straight from the throne. It feels like it's as thus says, look, remember my commandments. Heed my direction. Gain wisdom. Oh, we've heard that so many times in Scripture. We know that God says it. But this wasn't God saying it. This was David saying it to his boy. And from chapter 4, at the start here, all the way to chapter 9, this is what David taught his boy Solomon. Now, the Proverbs are ascribed, rightly so, to Solomon. 
But the ones that he came up with start in chapter 10 and go all the way to 31, with 31 being the kind of the bookend to the entire thing with respect to his mother. Here we've got what daddy said. At the end, we got what mama said. Interesting. Mama gave some really good instruction, but we got one chapter. Daddy gave really good instruction. We got six. The beauty is that he remembered all of it. <laughs> Which meant this. It wasn't just an educational lesson that he had to recount for a test. That his father poured into him so deeply that it was like whenever he was talking, the words were going as wet cement, as, as, as into wet cement in order to be inscribed on his soul, not just heard by his ears. This boy got it six chapters, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, six chapters of instruction that all come directly from daddy. Now, here's the kicker. Dad, when you instruct your children, is there any difference between your voice and God's? Because you can't tell any here. We read it as if God wrote it. This was inspired by the Holy Spirit, just as Genesis was, and just as Ephesians is. This is God. But Solomon was just writing what he remembered his daddy taught him, and we don't even have a thus says the Lord in this. Dad, can your children remember anything that sounds so right that it would be as if God said it himself? And you don't need to say, God says this is in the Bible for them to want it. That they actually hear your voice as being that which sounds a whole lot like God. Dad, how's your ability to communicate on his behalf and be his echo to your children? Because your ear is inclined to what he's already said. <laughs> Solomon's is so great. Listen to me. You know, Solomon became the wisest man who has ever lived. First Kings chapter 3, he has this encounter with God that's pretty astounding. David had input into this child to such a degree that God spoke to him in his dream, in his, while he was unconscious, and asked him a question. What would you like me to give you? Most folk don't answer that right when they're awake. <laughs> this dude was asleep, young kid. And we know he was young because we know that David married Bathsheba when he was in his aged years. And we know that when David was about to die, one of his other sons, Adonijah, decided that he would print up some business cards and call himself king. But he wasn't the anointed one. Solomon was supposed to take the spot. But David tried to hold off as long as he could because Solomon wasn't old enough to take the spot. And everybody knew it. That's why Adonijah, who was the eldest son, went ahead and assumed that he was supposed to be king. And everybody knew Solomon was too young. Too young. And then in first, uh, chapter 3 of 1 Kings, Solomon says this of his own self. I am young and inexperienced. I don't know what I'm doing. So... I don't think young means 18 to 20 because everybody would have thought, well, if he can go to war, he can make some good decisions. Mm, I think young is like 13 to 16. And David was holding off so long 
to try to transfer authority because he knew Solomon was so young. And finally, on his deathbed, he said, okay, since Adonijah has now taken the responsibility because he knows I'm about to pass, I guess I have to give it to my boy. Got to give it to Solomon. He didn't want to because he was too young, which means Solomon, at the age of 13 to 16, and let's put him in the middle, let's say 14, was <laughs> sitting on the throne, and he was, he was giving sacrifices to God at a place called Gibeah. And God comes to him in his dream life. Now, I'm telling you, what, what, if you ask a 14-year-old today, what do you want? Well, the first thing he's going to say is, well, uh, she's got to be, <laughs> I want her like, and then this car, have you seen this? And PlayStation 4. iPhone XR, the next version, give, give me Google Glass, give me VR. While he's asleep, what do you want? He says, Lord, I need wisdom to govern your people because they're numerous and they're great because they're yours. But if I don't have wisdom, I'm not going to represent you well, and I'll do a really bad job. What an answer. What an answer. God was so impressed. He said, because you didn't ask for riches, and because you didn't ask for the death of your enemies, and because you didn't ask for all the other things that most kings do, I want you to know I'm giving you all that stuff, every bit of it, and more. And there has nobody, nobody who has existed will be like you in terms of wisdom because of what you asked for, and neither will there be anybody who comes after you like you. Where did a young man get the idea that it was the best version of an answer to God for that question to say wisdom? Where? Except daddy. Daddy started at the age of four, three. Come here, boy. Let me teach you something. It's not just about rulership. It's not just about conquering. I can give you story after story. You want to start with Goliath? We could go there. But no, no, no. Ask God for wisdom. Get understanding. In all of your getting as a king, and there's a lot to get, find out what God has to say about your situation and everybody else's. If you do, you'll be guarded by it if you guard it, if you prize it, if you hold on to it and keep it. It will do something for you. You will gain some stuff. It will protect you. It will watch over you. It'll keep you from stupid. <laughs> making dumb decisions. Drive it off into the ditch on a regular basis. Wisdom will do that. If you hold on to her, she will watch over you and she will protect you. And her sister is understanding. Wisdom is the ability to make great decisions. Understanding is the, is the basis upon which wisdom makes great decisions. Really simple analogy. Everybody knows that smoking is bad. Smoking anything is bad. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> but on the pack of cigarettes you get in the store, they have this little thing on the side. That Brett's paraphrase says, if you smoke this, it will kill you. Smoking can be hazardous to your health. Surgeon General warns. 
but people still light up. They still buy the packs and enjoy them. And you sit there and you think, okay, you've got information, but the information isn't helping you. You're still making bad decisions because you don't really understand what it means when it says it's going to kill you. It's only when now they've developed emphysema. Oh, this is what they meant. Now they've made a wise decision, but there are too many consequences they've got to deal with because of their bad decision. Understanding allows you the privilege of making a good decision. Understanding comes with wisdom, brother and sister. Gain understanding. And if you do, wisdom and understanding will give you a prize. They will reward you. They'll set a garland of praise on your head. Everybody will think you're amazing. And it's not because you're so smart. It's because you made wisdom your sister. So you, 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 you buckled yourself into understanding. Do that. This is what David was teaching him. And then he said, I want you to grow. I want you to grow in your understanding of what it means to remember. Don't let your memory fail you. Remember what has happened. Remember the words I have taught you. Remember what God has done. Your memory is supposed to be your servant. But every time God does something, and, 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 and it's, it's pretty miraculous. He saves us from something, does something, opens up something we didn't know. We prayed, and then he answered, wow, it's great. But three months later, we're at another impasse. And somehow or another, the thing he just did, sprouts wings and flies away. And we are at the same river of doubt and unbelief wondering, how am I going to get to the other side? Because your memory did not serve you well. Our memories are supposed to help us obey God tomorrow. And when God does something today, log it. Hold on to it. Don't forget what I'm telling you, boy. Because your memory will help you. And he says, lastly, it'll give you direction. It'll tell you which way to go when you, when you don't know and the fork in the road's there and you're, you're trying to figure it out and both of them look good. But this one here might be better than this. This might give you better and this might give you good and good is good but better is better. So you may want to take better but you won't know which one unless you use wisdom. Wisdom gives direction. Understanding gives direction. Understanding is taking the information that you've got, compiling it, and, compiling it together and saying, oh, I get it. And then making a, a good decision on the basis of that reflects wisdom. So there are three things that Proverbs concentrates on more than any other. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Those three are supposed to all go together. All of them. And in tandem, supposed to give you the best version of your great life. That's what David taught Solomon. From probably the age of three or four because he knew he didn't have a lot of time. So Solomon, Solomon maybe, maybe Solomon was born when David was 55 because he died at 70. So maybe he was born at 55. And David said, this is the one. He knew he was the one. Hmm. I got to form something in him. I got to get him ready. I got to get him ready. And dads, you need to have a sense of urgency. I'm not talking about emergency. I'm talking about urgency. A sense of urgency that you have to take everything that God has given you and put it on the inside of these kids. I'm not talking about force feeding. I'm talking about creating the environment where they want to be fed. They have to love that God is on the inside of you because of the, the you you have become. They like being fathered by you. They think it's great. They see all your flaws and they realize, oh, he could be better here, he could be better there, but hey... I'm going to take this one because I know a lot of my friends, 
They ain't got this. They don't have any of that. Yeah, he does this and does that. Okay, I'll probably have to need prayer for that later. But that over there, that there, that's good enough. That's good enough. And hear me. We all mess up our children. Every one of us. We mess up our children. Because we're flawed. The goal is this. To try to mess them up as little as possible. That's the goal. How can I reduce my flaws so that they don't become worse? How in the world can I get them to get the most good out of me? And at some point, every parent needs to understand this, especially dads. Raising children has little to do with growing them up as much as it has to do with you growing up. When you grow up as a dad, you get better kids. Now, even if you become the best version of you you could possibly be, there's no guarantee your kids are going to come out right. Because being you doesn't complete them. You need the grace of God to assist in all of your weaknesses, the things that are blind spots in your own life, the things you don't know that need to be fixed in this child. And if you did know, you couldn't even do it because you don't have the ability to get down on the inside of the soul and help them. You need God to help you do that. So you've got to have the Lord to assist you in the process of raising upright kids. You can't do it even if you're great. It's not good enough. You've got to depend upon almighty God on a regular basis. But David was doing all he could to get it down on the inside of his boy. And so I'm begging you, everybody at some point comes to the place where they say, Lord, I need help. This one here, mm. I ain't got it. I mean, your children will bring you to that spot. They will bring you to that spot. But my hope is that they bring you to that spot after you have done as much as you know to do right. Not after you have messed it up yourself because of your poor parenting skills, your lack of character, your poor example. Because all you're doing is compounding the problem. Somewhere around when my oldest was 12, I realized in a way like I never, never had before, I knew I wasn't as right as I should be. But I realized, gosh, if these kids had a better dad, they'd be better kids. Not just that their behavior would be better so that I could feel better about my parenting. They would be better people. And I'm called to help them be great people. But I'm the limiter. I'm the regulator on their progress. God, change me. And I fasted for 10 years, once a week. 10 years, once a week, every week. Saying, God, change me because I need the catalyst. I'm not changing as quickly as I need to. I never abused my children. I never screamed and hollered at them out of control. I didn't do any of that. And you can talk to my wife or my child. I didn't do that. I, I was just, <laughs> thank you so much. I needed an amen there, by the way. <laughs> I didn't do any of that. I was, arguably, I would look at myself in the mirror and say, my kids are lucky. God's beat the heck out of me so much, they're really lucky. They are really fortunate because I know a bunch of parents out there that aren't like me at all. That's what I could have said to myself on a regular basis. But I didn't. I said, oh, my kids need better. They need better. They need better. Because i got to put stuff in them that I don't have yet. And so I read my Bible more than I ever read it. And I was pastoring. I was leading. 
I've read my Bible. And dads, you want to put the words of God on the inside of your kids without them even knowing that God is speaking it because you're their echo and you sound so much like them they can't tell the difference? Read your Bible every day because you don't know what to say if you don't know what has been said. You've got to get in this Bible and read every day. It's not just for you. You've got a bunch of people who are depending upon your progress for theirs. And the last thing you want to do is be an inhibitor to your kids' progress. Dads, come up. You who want to practice courage when a, 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 a person comes in your house and you realize they're an invader, they're an intruder, you stand in front and you take them down, take them out, you are the shield to the rest of your family. I realize those are the courageous moments that every dad wants to say, I live for, but do the courageous thing every day and read your Bible. Be courageous like that so that you can have the stuff on the inside to answer the problems that you don't even know are going to exist tomorrow in the life of your children. Practice courage like that. David was pretty phenomenal. And we don't even, you know, we don't get much information on David's parenting except here. And most people overlook this because we look at the my that are, that are the first person, personal, first person possessive pronoun, we look at that as being what God is saying. Listen to my words. And we don't, we don't really look at it as David speaking it when it's a little M, not a capital M. And David was phenomenal as a dad. Phenomenal. And dads, you can be that to your children. If you'll take the time to do the things that David did, have a heart that hungers after the will of God. Every day, all you want to do is his will. You wake up thinking, Lord, what can I do to bring a smile to your face today? I don't consider it an inconvenience too great to sacrifice whatever you want for your will. That I want in my life. I want your will in my life. Whatever you say, I will do. Not to mention the fact that it's a really good idea, dads, to love your wives. It's a good idea. In fact, you can't be a great dad without loving their mother. Hmm. I'm still waiting for an amen. That's why I call it. <laughs> there are so many people I come across and say, I want to be a great dad. I'm going to be a great dad to my children. That's wonderful. You married to the mama? No, no, that didn't work out. Huh. Well, good luck on being the greatest dad to your children because you can't be unless you're married to the mama and treat her well. Can't. Now, you can be a, 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 a responsible dad in that you'll visit your children regularly and be kind to them and treat them well. You can do that. But unless they see how much you love their mama, you're not being what you should be. I, there's no qualification on that if you're waiting for somebody to try to hedge that statement. No. Now you say, well, my situation's different. My kids are with the mama. I'm remarried. Okay. God works with whatever. But please understand that the ideal, the pattern, the way he set it up, you love that woman 
And through, the, through that woman in your relationship, you love your children best. My children have been parented not only by the finest woman on the planet. Fact, finest woman since Eve. <laughs> and, and, and she's great. I mean, she is the best. God could not have partnered partner me with a better woman than I got in my wife, Cynthia. The best. The best. Not only are my children helped by her, but they are helped in that she loves me and I love her. And every day they see how much we love one another. The security that is built in their soul is enormously great. No way you can calculate the level of health in their soul that comes as a result of me loving this woman. No way to calculate it. Again, if it can't be, it can't be. But if it can be, try to make that happen. If you want to be a great dad. David was working this thing as best he knew. And he, he, he cultivated the soil in his own son's heart to such a degree that by the time his son became king at 14, he was able to give the best answer ever to God while he was unconscious. The cement had dried in his soul. And all that came out was his daddy's sayings. And it sounded so much like God. That God said, Amen. You can't get better than that. And these were two people that didn't know nothing about Jesus. There was no cross they didn't have any blood that was spilled on their behalf yet. These were sons of Adam trying to figure it out in the selfishness of their own humanity. And they got it right. There's hope for you because you've got so much more provision. You've got the blood of Christ that flows over your soul. You know you're forgiven. You know you're going to heaven. You know you're redeemed. You know there's hope. There's restoration. You know there's a better tomorrow than today. All those things that scripture gives us is the promise. Boy, you got it going on. Plus, you got the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you to supply all the areas of strength for your weakness. And he empowers you to do everything you can't do on your own. Boy, we got it so good. And we do so poor. I'm just letting you know, Dad. You can fix whatever is not right. You can make it right by disciplining yourself to be the, 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 the disciple God intended you to be by doing the things that are found in Scripture that apply to the area of your own personal growth and to the area of your parenting. There is no better version of parenting than that which is found in the Bible. Are you listening to me? I don't care who's writing a book out there about how to best do it. And everybody out there today believes that spanking is really bad. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> oh, you beat your child. That is so violent. You're teaching them violence. No, you're not. Abuse is very different than godly discipline. Striking a child in anger with no control is very different than godly discipline and never should be confused with the two. I, I was always very measured. I, I carried a Home Depot paint stick in my back pocket. <laughs> we believe in spanking children here. 
We believe in it. Now, we're not going to spank your children, but we're going to encourage you to do it. <laughs> in the second service, somebody came out, and they pulled out of their purse. They said, here's my paint stick, but it's Lowe's. Is that okay? <laughs> I said, that'll do just fine. Just fine. Somewhere around 18 months, if you haven't figured it out by, by now, somewhere around 18 months, they realize that your no means very little. You say, no, don't do that. They go, hmm. That's just a delay to the yes. That's what they know. Because no, without any force behind it, to a child of irrational means, they don't know how, there's no logic in a child, not yet, that has to be built. They don't know that sucking on the outlet will kill them. <laughs> they just see a couple of little holes that need attention. They don't know. So you can't just say, no, Johnny. <laughs> they look at you. I want to. What you got to do with that? I want to. No, no, no. And, and I am, I, it is scientifically proven by me <laughs> that there are nerve endings that start down here in the bottom and run right through the soul to the brain. And when you tap those nerve endings in such a specific way, it sends a, an interpreter to their brain and says, oh, this is what no means. I get it now. No means, no means, don't do that. Oh, I understand now. And you just saved your child's life. Rebellion cannot be conjoled. Rebellion can't be argued with with a two-year-old. They win all the time. They win because there's no way you can logically tell them what they want is not good for them. So when you're run, running through that checkout uh, over Target and they see the Skittles <laughs> and they say, I want the Skittles. No, baby, you can't have Skittles today. I want the Skittles. No, baby, you can't have the... <gasps> And there you are, baby. You can't have the Skittles. Please calm down. You can't have the Skittles. They're just looking at you like, they, give me the Skittles, woman. I'll stop. And when those events occur, I just look at the parent. And I say, can I? <laughs> can, I can I help you? You're not abusing the child. You're training the child. And there's a way to do it. You never do it out of anger. You never do it uncontrolled. You do it intentionally. But it produces obedient children. And believe me, obedient children are a help to you. You don't wait until they have to make their own decision when they're 15 to decide whether they're going to obey you. By that time, they've already learned how not to. They need to learn what obedience looks like when they're two, when they're 18 months. They need to learn what it looks like. And you need to be able to go into a store with your child, not being perfect, but when they are disobedient, understanding what no means. And I'll close with this. Cynthia and I worked hard. I mean, we, we worked hard, probably her more than me, when our kids were small, really hard. But it was, it was pretty much... Uh, a routine. 
we'd go out to dinner every once in a while. Most of the time, it was McDonald's drive-thru because taking all those little people out, 7, uh, 12 and under, 7, 12 and under, taking those little people out was just a chore. Plus, we didn't have a lot of money. Church was extremely small. And, and about every six months, we'd, we'd splurge and go to Outback. That was our, that was our upper-level restaurant. That was a family big moment for us. Uh, and and we, we, do, when we went to one restaurant, we were on vacation in Cape Cod, and people see us coming into the restaurant. They wonder what they have done bad in life. <laughs> Karma has now hit them. That's what they're thinking. Well, I thought I was good today. This family is coming in with all these people. They're going to ruin my dinner. They're going to scream, holler, throw food. This is terrible. We just wanted a nice, quiet dinner out alone. That's the way people think. We'd come in, sit down, our children behaved, without one of us having to exert a whole lot of effort, neither one of us. By the end of it, the manager would come and give all my kids dessert free. True? Why, he said, we were scared. <laughs> we were scared. We didn't know what to think. Never seen children behave like that in public. Never. Again, we didn't have to chain him down. We didn't have to use handcuffs. <laughs> we worked hard at home, so we didn't have to work hard outside of home. Amen. We're not talking about robots. We're not talking about automatons. We're talking about people that had real personalities that knew what it meant to behave in public because they behaved in private. We trained them like that. They become pretty responsible adults too. Free thinking, very different than Cynthia and me. You'd want your daughter to marry one of my boys? You would. <laughs> you would. They're really great. They know how to treat a woman. Got character. Love mom and dad. Understand family. You want your daughter to marry one of my boys. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're available. I'm not, I'm not doing it. They're going to be really mad at me after this sermon. I mean, really mad at me. And my girls, amazing human beings. The Bible has a lot to say about how to do things well. And Dad, you could be great. You may not have anything from which you could work, meaning you didn't have an example growing up. Your father may not have been around. Or he, when he was around, he wasn't good. Every, hear me, everybody has their daddy issues. Everybody. God will help you and teach you and train you because he's the ultimate father and where your natural father lacked, he makes up. <clears throat> I did not come from the kind of home that would suggest that it would lead me here. The kind of home from which I came should have made me a stat on the front page of the Washington Post. So please do not write off my comments as being, well, you're a preacher. You ought to be good at this. It's your job to read your Bible and obey it. The reason, in many respects, I'm a preacher is because I read my Bible and obeyed. And as a result of the fruit of my life, somebody said, let's pay that boy. Let's pay that boy. Because he, he seems to have something that a lot of people don't, and he's got a foundation upon which he can preach with integrity. It's not just theology. It's not just good teaching. Look at his family. That there is what everybody wants to build.
Let them talk about it. Let's pay them. That's how I got here. No angel appeared to me and said, preach the gospel. I didn't have any bright light like Paul. I just woke up someday and said, I want to live right. And then I want to tell other people how to do it on the basis of what I'm doing. And if I can't make that work, then it's not worthy of me taking this, taking this, this gospel thing into a profession. I got to preach from how I live. There's hope for you, gentlemen. There's hope. And maybe you've already gone past the place where you're raising kids. And now you're, you're trying to figure out how in the world do I navigate through all the mistakes I made with my kids. How do I go through that? Dads, let me help you. There's never a bad time to apologize. If you know you made some mistakes, do the courageous thing. Go back to your kids and say, baby girl, I'm sorry. I should have been better there. You'd be surprised how much healing will come. Hope. Restoration. But it takes a lot of courage to be able to do it. If you want your relationships restored, that's a first step. Let's pray.